following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Now for the reading of the Lord's Word. John 5, 30-47 I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that that and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do you not think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe, this, believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Thank you so much, Sarday. I miss your hat from last week. That was on point. That was on point. Um, what a glorious Resurrection Sunday we had um, last week. Um, and I also want to um, just, uh, we're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice. And our brother, Sir G, Sir Gregory, um, preached a sermon yesterday at Presbytery and then was examined for about two hours and 45 minutes, people. It was ridiculous. And yet, he just was a champ. I mean, yes. Yes. That man preached the gospel, and then he defended the gospel and um, made this church family proud, uh, no doubt about it. And I know his own family. So congratulations, brother. And we're going to have his ordination service, um, I think the second week of June, June 12th, around there. So can't wait for that. Before we go to God's Word, let's just pray. And uh, this topic we're dealing with this morning really 
hits at the deception of our culture and the deception of our own hearts in regard to God's truth. And so we need him to speak clearly to us this morning. So let's beg that he would do just that. And let's just take a moment of silence to prepare our hearts to really anticipate hearing from God. Father, if we would but hear you this morning, Lord Jesus, if we would but see you as the living word, if we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, if we would make you our greatest study, our constant thought, how differently we would live, how differently we as a church would be in regard to our outward face to the world and even toward one another. So God, come by your Spirit. Cut through the skepticism. Cut through the doubt. Cut through the fog and bring the light of the countenance of your Word to bear on our hearts and minds. Not for any man's sake, but for your glory and the good of your people. Lord, make it so. I need you. We need you. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Jonathan Hyatt wrote an excellent article recently um, in the Atlantic called, Why the Past Ten Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid. (laughs) And uh, the subtitle is, It's Not Just a Phase. And it's addressing, I think, and getting to the root of why we... um, how we've gotten to where we are in regard to how fragmented we are in our, in our trust, in our beliefs, politically, socially, religiously, and in every other front. And he looks at social media and the, the, the role that it has played, and he really goes back. It's about a 32-page article, so I'm going to try to narrow it down really quick. It um, really goes down to uh, 2013 when um, Twitter came out with the retweet. And then Facebook, the share, and subsequently the like. And then Facebook, in light of those new inventions, if you will, um, came up with algorithms to see and track what type of um, post we were most likely to repost, share, retweet, like, etc. And what they found was that Mostly, we like to share the things that really punch our opposing person or our, you know, our opposing side in the face. Um, and because of that, those are the kind of posts that are coming into our homepage or on our home screen. And so, really, at the end of the article, he didn't say it, but basically we're being played. Um, and, and yet, this is what he, he, he writes. He said, in 2013, social media had become a new game. If you were skilled or lucky, you might create a post that would go viral and make you internet famous for a few days. 
If you blundered, you could find yourself buried in hateful comments. Your posts rode to fame based on the clicks of thousands of strangers, and you in turn contributed thousands of clicks to the game. Then he writes this. This new game encouraged dishonesty, dishonesty and mob dynamics. And he goes on to show how this social media, um, I guess, new game, how it began to erode our trust in most institutions, and how we even begin to mistrust each other. And, and we just kind of walk away going, well, if you can't believe anything, then, you know, then I'm going to determine what I believe, and I can certainly find something on Facebook that supports what I, you know, think I believe. Um, so what we have done is, is, what this has done is created a culture of skepticism. He writes, when people lose trust in institutions, they lose trust in the stories told by those institutions. So we don't believe anybody. Um, Deloitte did a survey in 2019, and here's the result. Millennials and Gen Z lack trust in traditional institutions. 26% um, of millennials and 24% of Gen Z have zero trust in business leaders while the rate is 27% and 30% for traditional um, media, 45% versus 41% for political leaders, and now, lucky us, 45% and 49% have no trust in religious leaders. So here we are as a culture, and the primary question is this, who can we trust? And really we've answered it and said we can't trust anybody but ourselves. And we're not even sure about that. And friends, whereas that is new in terms of how we got here, and in terms of how it's manifested with social media, it is not a new reality. Um, every generation, every age, even in the one that we are entering right here in John chapter 5, is asking the question, what can I believe? Where does truth come from? Who can I follow? That's what Jesus is addressing here. And what Jesus wants us to know today is we can trust Him. He is trying, he is coming, he's trying to break through the fog and shine the light and say, my people can trust me. And it's the fact that you're not, that it's that reality that has gotten you to where you are in your own hearts and in your own lives. Listen to 39 and 40. You search the Scriptures. He's talking to the Jewish um, leaders. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, though, that bear witness about me. But you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He tells the Pharisees, it's not that they can't find truth. It's that they won't find truth. They won't resign to the fact that Jesus is truth. And friends, that is where we are in the church today. And so, we need to come and we need to, we need to renew our commitment and break through that fog and renew our belief and maybe believe it for the first time that Jesus is truth. Jesus said this in John 8. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. The culture is not going to set you free. The messages of social media, winning an argument on Facebook is not going to set you free. Jesus is going to set you free. 
So let's look at it. The first thing I want us to see is that Jesus wants to give you life and not control you. It's that suspicion that Jesus is out to get me. Jesus really, he's like any other religious leader, and he really wants power. He's kind of a, you know, megalomaniac. No. Jesus wants to give you life, that's what he says, not control you. I think about children. who's had a parenting seminar, and, you know, one thing is clear, and that is cheer, children do not trust their parents most of the time. Um, but children do trust themselves. And, you know, and, and yet what do we as parents have to do over and over and over and over again? You can trust me. I'm just, I have your best interest in mind. I'm trying to save your life, not ruin your life. I'm trying to, to lead you to a, a land of flourishing, not a land of dismal life and, and death. Trust me. We had a uh, Rachel and I had an a, a old wood deck on the back of our house in Isle of Branch when our girls were young. And we would always tell them, don't run out there. Don't go out there barefooted. Or what? You're going to get splinters. And what do they do? Every time they run out there, they get splinters. And where do they come running? Back to us. And we got to get the tweezers. We got to get those, you know. You may think that's simplistic. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying to us. I have told you, O oh man, what is true and what I require of you. This is nothing new. I have told you. I've given you my word. God merely wants us to not be enslaved, but to be free. He wants to lead us to life. He says this. I'm going to read it slower, the last part. You study the Scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And then he says that, yet, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Friends, Jesus wants to lead you to life. This is no different. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. Friends, we need someone outside of us to lead us. This is what Paul was doing constantly in his letters. I'm just going to take one example, Colossians 2, verses 1 through 5. He says this, For I want you to know, church in Colossae, how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged by being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. What, what Paul is saying is we were made to receive truth, not create truth. You will not be free by trying to discern what is true. It, it, the, the culture, this is the gospel of the culture. Every must, must, everyone must determine from themselves what their truth is. And we wonder why we're the most anxious culture on the planet. That is too much to, to carry. You cannot find yourself outside of God. You must receive from Him who you are by understanding whose you are not going out and creating some 
life purpose that is going to give you significance and meaning. You weren't made for that. You were made for the beauty of a God who is so good that He tells you His truth. He gives you His Word. He gives you the Scriptures. We were created to, re to receive it, not create it. Receiving God's truth doesn't mean turning our brains off. That's what he says in here. He says, the treasures of wisdom, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are what? Hidden in Christ Jesus. So we have to go mine it. We have to go after it. We have to do more than just our little three-minute time with Jesus in the morning. We've got to take His Word, and we've got to believe. Like I was saying last week, you know, we, it's like losing a pair of glasses. That's not a casual thing if you can't see. You've got to search for those babies until you get them on, and then you can see clearly that is what His Word is. We have to go to it, not to expand our brains merely, but to know the treasures and the wisdom of life who is Christ Jesus. And then he says, not only do we not have to, to turn off our brains, but secondly, we have to know God's truth or we're going to be led away. By what? He says, plausible arguments. I love that he didn't just say arguments. Plausible arguments. He, what, what Paul is saying is, and he is writing, I don't know if you saw it at the end, but he is writing to people that he says, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He's not writing to people who are, you know, just, you know, glibly living life. They already have a firm faith in Christ, but what is he afraid of? They're going to lose it. Why? Because so many plausible arguments exist. And friends, isn't that true in our day? Aren't we bombarded with different propositions and plausible arguments that seem right to us? But what, what he's saying is what we've got to do is take these plausible arguments, those that we're even creating in our own hearts, and we've got to measure it up to his word. And we've got to live there. We've got to think. We've got to dig. We've got to live in community. We've got to ask for other people. We've got to see what the saints of old said by, by digging up commentaries. We've got to study to show ourselves a proof that we're not led away by plausible arguments. Life is found by sitting at the feet of Jesus, not Facebook. <laughs> Truth is found here. And Jesus says, I'm here. I'm here. Come and find me. Come and learn. He is not trying to control us. He's trying to, to lead us to life. Secondly, Jesus' testimony is true. The amount of information coming at us minute by minute is mind-boggling. There has never been, and I know I am prone to exaggerate, but literally, that's our word in our house. Whenever Dad says literally, uh, you know, he really means something. Uh, but literally... We have never lived in a time when there is more information coming at us. It's unbelievable. And um, I, was, I was in Huntsville. We were in Huntsville for Presbytery this week, Huntsville, Alabama. And I don't think I've ever spent any time in Huntsville. Therefore, what do I do? I'm driving. I've got my map app out. And I'm, I'm following it. Um, because I don't know this town at all. I don't know where anything is. Um, and so, 
you know, I was thinking, well, what if my map app, you know, was like how we discern truth today? It gave us like an infinite number of options to try to figure out, you know, what's most appealing to you? Well, I, you know, I like to walk. So the most appealing route for me would be a walkable route, you know? Um, and so what if I chose that one? I'm going to do the walkable map app, and it's going to lead me. There's no way I could have walked from my hotel to that church. I'd be dead by the time I got there. It doesn't matter. The, the mo the, what is the most effective and, 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 you know, efficient map app? It's the one that's going to get us to our destination without getting lost. And there's no doubt about that, and that's what God's Word is for us. That is what God is calling us to. His Scriptures are the one true source of life eternal because His Scriptures are all about Jesus. Jesus provides truth to His audience or proof to His audience. Um, just quickly, he, he, he says in this passage, don't believe me, believe the Father. He says, I didn't come down. It's, it's not me testifying about me. Believe the Father. He's the one that sent me. I'm doing His will. Um, verses 31 to 32, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true, though that's not even true because it would be true. Uh, there's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. Well, what is that testimony? Verses 36 to 38, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm going, uh, that I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You, what, what Jesus is saying is, I came from the Father. I'm not just making stuff up. I'm not calling audibles. He told me what to say. He told me what to do. I came from the Father. And therefore, if you believe me, you believe the Father. Because basically the Father and I are one. Secondly, he says, don't believe me, but believe John. John the Baptist uh, was told uh, by the Father that Jesus is God. Verses 33 through 35, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mentioned that it it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. But when did they stop living in the light of John's testimony when John really began to point to Jesus and say, hey, I'm not the Christ, he is. John chapter 3, uh, we read, I, John, am not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Lamb of God who is taking away the sin of the world. It is upon him that I saw the Spirit descending and remaining. He is the bridegroom. He is the one who came from above and is above all. He speaks the words of God and is himself the Son of God. You see, the Scriptures are testifying that Jesus is the Christ, the, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he says, and this is the whole point of John, don't believe me, but believe my works. He has just healed a man who had been living um, by uh, the pool of Bethesda because it was thought that anybody that when the water started swirling, that if they could get in that pool, that they would be healed. 38 years this poor man has been an invalid. 38 
years. And Jesus comes and heals him. And the Jews, mind you, don't rebut the reality of the healing. They just get angry that he healed on the Sabbath. That's why they want to kill him. That is mind-boggling to me. They know that Jesus healed this man, but they are more worried about their system of theology being broken and how they understand the world and how they understand God as opposed to the one who has come. And then John is full of the signs of Jesus. Jesus has already turned a couple of hundred gallons of water into the best wine that they had ever had at the party. He had healed an official son without even going to the son. Jesus told the official, hey, go home. Your son is healed. And he goes home and finds out at the exact hour Jesus said that his son was healed. Um, time and time again we see this. In the next chapter, uh, we're going to see next week Jesus feeding 5, 000, over 5,000 people with uh, five loaves of bread and two small fish, and there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers. We're going to see him raise Lazarus from the dead, and then we're going to see the ultimate sign. Jesus goes into the grave for three days and comes out alive and appears to over 500 people. And, and, and John, is, John is saying, I have written these things. Later in, 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 uh, in a later chapter, John says, I have written this gospel. I've written all these things so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ and have faith and have life in his name. Dear friends, Jesus brings us life, and he is the one that, we, that will free us. If you want to uh, find truth find Jesus. And then thirdly and finally, to believe Jesus' words are true produces humility and love, not arrogance and pride. How do we know that we're reading the Scriptures rightly? Jesus tells us in this passage, it's interesting, verses 41 through 42, He says, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you, and I know that you don't have the love of God in your hearts. You see, not taking God at his word doesn't lead us to become better humans, but worse humans. Because when we are rightly interpreting the scriptures, we are the ones being humbled. We aren't becoming arrogant, you know, critical um, an arrogant, critical community, we're becoming humble lovers of God and lovers of people. That's what he tells us. And, and so, in a sense, where we are in our day culturally is because of our church trauma, because of the church scandals, because of the skepticism that really is the gospel of our age. It's not cool. In fact, it's very uncool to believe anything too strongly. That is, is, is not making greater lovers of people. But it's making us, we're basically, we're living for ourselves, disconnected from one another, and just criticizing everything and everybody.
The community that, that God's Word produces is one in which we have the love of God in our hearts. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Thus, the living Word, the Word will shape us toward truth and also grace. Notice, Jesus is love, and yet He is confronting. It's not that love, love doesn't mean accept everything and everybody. It means embrace everything and everybody and speak truth in love humbly as it's been given to you. Verses 43 through 44, I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. Now, love in our day would say, I've come in my Father's name, but it's okay that you don't accept me because you have to find your own truth, and Jesus didn't do that. Why? Because there was truth, and He is it. He's saying, I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me, but if someone else comes in my own name, you'll accept them. What is he talking about there? He's saying there are people that come in that you immediately embrace. Why? Because they're telling you exactly what you want to hear. That is the power of Facebook. It will affirm you in what you want to hear. In fact, it's impossible to get the truth. Once you're down that track, that is all Facebook is going to be feeding you, what you want to hear. Man, it's so deceptive, so ridiculous, and we buy it like gullible little people. Jesus shapes us toward not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. I've come in my Father's name, verses 40, 43 through 44. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in my own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek glory that comes from the only God? Friends, we have to stop finding groups that make us feel glorious because they tell us what we want to hear. What we need is people that will tell us the truth, and that person is Jesus. And don't, and, and, and hear me on this, God's Word is clear. It does not have these, it does not have deep hidden meanings that contradict their clear teaching. There's, there's something radically different behind, you know, search the Scriptures because when you do, you can justify anything you want to do. Versus taking what the, the, the Word actually says consistently and boldly and obviously, and then dig, dig deep to get down to the person of Jesus and how that plays out in your life and in the lives of others and in your community and so forth and in your church. The Scriptures speak clearly and yet deeply. Don't confuse deep wisdom with hidden meanings. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he says, but do not think I will accuse you before your, the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Friends, the church of that day was telling the world a false message. These Jews were denying the validity of Jesus being the Son of God. And what does Jesus say? I'm going to judge you? No, the Scriptures are going to judge you on the last day. In other words, the truth of God's Word that is clearly stated is what is going to judge us on the last day. That's why we have to come to the Word and let it read us more than us reading it. 
We've got to come to the Word and let it shape me more than me shaping it. When Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat fall to the ground and die, it remains a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seed. I need to take that verse and I need to apply it to my life and my marriage. What that means is he's calling me to die. He's not calling me to, to keep score on how well Rachel's doing at dying to herself and, and giving to me. But I'm to take that and let that word read me and I'm to live looking at am I dying so that she might flourish. And then just start working that out at your workplace, with your children, in your neighborhood, at your church, in your country. Start working it out. Let the Word of God read you. Unless a kernel of wheat fall to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Believing that, that flourishing comes when I die to myself, not when I empower myself and raise myself up. But how can we do that? We can do it because we have life in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose that we might be free to live, die, and rise again someday. That we might indeed come to Him to find life and live in Him, believing in what His promises of a new heaven and a new earth. His promises to always be with us and never forsake us. His promises that even when we don't understand, He's working all things for the good of those who love Him. To live a life of faith under His Word, trusting that He indeed is true and He indeed is life. So is Jesus your life this morning? Is He your Word? What Word are you going to? What are you believing? Are you believing Jesus? That's the question before the house today. And what Jesus says is, you can believe me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I won't put a burden of anxiety on you. I will give you rest. You'll find forgiveness for your sins. You'll find your shame is washed away, and you'll find life in my name. Would you come to Jesus, Christian, would you come back to Jesus this morning? Non-Christian, if you've never believed, would you believe this morning that Jesus is the Christ? the very Son of God, the living Word that will never lead you astray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You that You are willing to lead us to Yourself, to tell us what is true and where life can be found. Lord Jesus, be patient with us, as we know You are. But Father, I pray that we would be hungry for life this morning, that we would be hungry for truth, that we would be hungry to know the way, truth, and life. That, Lord Jesus, we would long and, and, and even strategize how we can come more and more under you. That you might lead us to that which is good, namely yourself. God, open our hearts to you, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the, the benediction's been sung over us, and I'm just going to state it over us. Dear friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, friends.